My name's Brian, and today is Thursday, June 8th, 2023, and this is episode 427 of the Lots Project podcast, and it's another episode of Lots to Talk About, and we're doing a special live Thursday night. Uh, my guest was available on a Thursday night. Usually I do uh, pre-records, uh, but when I have a live guest and have the opportunity to fill the spot in with something live and uh, hopefully interactive, uh, take that opportunity to book it. So. With that, uh, tonight I asked Eric from Porterhouse Antille to come on and talk and chat about biochar. I have a few ideas around biochar and uh, Toolman Tim's Delinquents Gully here in Tennessee. And as I started researching that, I came across a whole playlist on uh, Porterhouse's channel, uh, on his YouTube channel. You're going to want to check that link down in the video description when you get a chance. But I reached out and Eric has agreed to come on and discuss kind of what he has experienced over the year uh, or a little bit more than a year, I guess, of uh, dealing with biochar and the different things he's uh, he's tried out and uh, and went through. So I want to bring him on and talk about that and hopefully do a little brainstorming on the Delinquents Gully project. But with that, I would like to bring on to lots to talk about. Eric from uh, Porterhouse and Teal, how's it going, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, So I started digging into this biochar thing. Um, not necessarily because everybody is hot to talk about it uh, and put it on my farm or stuff like that, but I'm traveling around in RV. So what the hell would I want to do with biochar? Um, I think my audience knows, but uh, a tool man, Tim's got some undeveloped property out there and there's a, just a shitload of biomass uh, deadfall slash things that needs to be taken down. Um, and as I started looking into ways to capitalize on that and not make it a waste stream, uh, I started looking at biochar and it's great because there's news everywhere. But one guy that popped up on my YouTube searches over and over and over was you. And, uh, so I wanted to bring you on and talk to you. Um, my audience may or may not know you if they're in the self-reliance circles, I'm sure they heard of your name, but I do have some RV listeners and other genres. So, uh, Take a second, introduce yourself, who you who you are, and uh, and then let's uh, let's talk some biochar. Yeah, my name's Eric. Um, I'm a retired firefighter. Um, I was a uh, firefighter for thirty plus years, and uh, retired in 2015. Both my wife and I. Um, however, we've been homesteading on our property since 2000, and I grew up on a farm as a kid, so I've you know had that in my background my entire life growing up around animals and dealing with animal husbandry and that sort of thing. Um, in 2000, we decided to expose our kids to that. And we moved from the suburbs where we bought our first home and we purchased our land up here. We've got 22 acres in California and we've been living on that property ever since. But we both retired in 2015, became empty nesters, and we decided um, at that time to, to relinquish a bit of our responsibilities and the keys that we were holding on to. We wanted to reduce the amount of keys on our key ring. And so we got in our motor home and we started making a lot of trips across the country, visiting family and just seeing what was out there. And at that time, we really wanted to kind of step away from the homesteading lifestyle since it's something that we've done for a while and, you know, kind of almost like been there, done that. Um, 
And so we did that for a few years and we wound up in, oh, I think it was around 2020 is, is kind of a date. A lot of people might <laughs> know what happened in 2020, but that yeah. was a time when we, we realized, you know what, Hey, maybe we should get back to doing some of those things with regard to that we were doing in the past. And we really ramped it up from there and accelerated what we were doing by our food production and, um, you know, even prior to that, though, I was inspired by some of the things I was seeing in the, uh, you know, on YouTube, I was seeing people do a lot of cool stuff. And I started getting inspired in, in that. And one of them was biochar. Another was, you know, permaculture. And I was introduced through that um, by a guy named Jack Spearco. It was the first guy that I had ever heard about permaculture. That jerk has got us hooks into all of us. Right, man. Right. Yeah. He's got a pretty, pretty broad reach. Um, a yeah. lot of people listen to his, his, his podcast. And um, I really got a lot of my ideas from Jack, at least regarding going down the perm, permaculture rabbit hole. And Absolutely. so that's about the time I started looking into as well when I saw people doing things on biochar and learning more about that. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of in a in a nutshell my brief background and journey to this so, point. So when you when you took off in the RV, you you held on to the the acreage. And, oh, for and sure. Kind of shut everything down and just kind of went on trips or found somebody to farm yep. it. Or, yeah, yeah. So we did we did we did like the opposite. We just sold everything and we're looking for someplace new. But you you liked where you were at. Um, and we, we didn't particularly care for it. And, um, so this is kind of our journey to find that place that you already had. Um, right. but I do, I get it. We, we went hard for, um, five years. We put a five-year plan out on the homestead to try everything we could. And we tried rabbits and we tried quail and chickens and turkeys and all of it. Um, and then at five years, the, the weather just beat us down and we said, this has got to be easier somewhere else. We love doing it, um, but the break will be nice and finding someplace else and experiencing someplace else will be great. Um, 2020 changed your mind. We decided to do this in September of 2019. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we made yeah. that final call and we were able to stay steady through it, through all the changes and all the disasters and all the hype. Um, but it really tested us to make sure this is what we really wanted to do. So I, uh, I echoed, I, I heard you telling your story about getting in the RV and checking things out. And I was like, it sounds really familiar. Um, except I had that, I had that punch in the face right when we were planning everything. Um, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we kind of set this up so that it would, we didn't get rid of anything. We still had actually our cows and stuff like that. We just had a handful of cows around here to manage, the uh, pastures, you know, we, we need ruminants on this property to manage the fire hazard and manage the pasture. So we kept, you know, the number of cows that we had, which was pretty minimal. We had like, I think, like five, you know, cows just to manage on here. But it was very easy to just put a couple of big bales of hay out there, or rice straw or something like that. And then they can just for, fend for themselves while we were gone. And we have relatives that are close by where they could drop in and and, um, you know, just make sure that the, they still have water and everything was cool, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, we drive through the, through the upper Midwest there and you see cows that you haven't seen people in forever. So it's like, I think, I think they can, they, they're built for that. And that's, that's kind of a perfect way to, to, to escape. 
Um, but I, I, uh, the fire, the fireman kind of really ties into the biochar. You probably have a lot of that, um, fire, uh, combustion, pyrolysis, gasification knowledge from the firefighting service. Right. Yeah. That's something that like early on you learn, like when you first go to the Academy, you know, they teach you, they teach you, you know, fire investigation. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, you wind up learning pyrolysis and how a fire burns and, you know, how to, um, you know, all of the, all of the, the processes that happen as a result of a fire kind of lead back to the origin. So you, you learn that sort of thing kind of early on. So, um, you know, pyrolysis isn't necessarily a new term for me. It's just something right. that's, that applies directly to, you know, permaculture. And it, it's really me, weird. It, it's, yeah, it, it's really weird. Um, when I started looking into it and I knew, I know, like I'd heard people say biochar and I knew basically what it was. But when I started diving in um, and I started seeing uh, pyrolysis and I started seeing gasification, I spent uh, five years working for a startup that did pyrolysis of waste plastic into synthetic crude oil so we um we brought the plastic to temperature under a vacuum which hmm. gasified it um and then recondensed it into a liquid form because i mean plastics just hydrocarbons so basically we we broke down the hydrocarbons and quenched them at a certain temperature to reconstitute them in the form we wanted um but being a startup I worked really closely with the CTO, the vendor that made the system, the process engineer um, doing R&D because we went through many phases of different um, different systems and different end products. But I learned a lot about the pyrolysis side of hydrocarbons and breaking that down. So I'm coming at biochar from a completely different industry, but understanding the concept and as we were, I was working at the startup, I was do, taking notes on building like my own gasification power plant with a gasifier and an old engine and running the pulleys and all that. Um, it's in a notebook somewhere, but yeah. it's all the same. It's all the same concept. And so bringing you on this has the, the practical experience and trying to mix that with my um, convoluted plastic side of it. I think it's uh, it's it's interesting. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, so, so what got you? Uh, did Jack mention it way back, or was there something else that kind of spurred you into it? Where did uh, where did your uh, where did it tip I, off? I actually, and... I actually heard it before um, I heard Jack mention anything about it. You know, just coming across it on um, some of the channels that I was began following. You know, somewhere you know early 2019, and and I think it was like the latter part of 2019 on in the first part of 2020 when I actually learned of Jack. And um, I, I just got turned on to his community around that time. I actually came to Jack through um, listening to, um, I can't think of his name right now. Um, I'll, it'll come to me, but anyhow, I, I came to Jack sometime, I think late 2019 or early 2020, but I had heard of the other before, but then I also saw somebody that he had on it was a, a lady that he had had on that was talking about biochar and it kind of again it was when i was digging into it i i wound up listening to that particular episode um but i tried to learn as much as i could at that time and 
you know, just doing some of my own research. And then I started to try to validate some of the things that people were saying. You know, I think that's the best way that you can actually figure things out for yourself, whether or not they work. You, you know, we can watch and listen and, and all of that. And that's very helpful. But in order to really figure it out, you kind of have to actually just go out there and try it yourself. So. Right. Right. So. For people that don't know that might be tuning in and they they search biochar in YouTube or whatever or a podcast, what is biochar? Yeah, biochar is just basically any biomass, which biomass is just um, organic material. Recently living or currently living is biomass. We're biomass. Everything that's organic that's either living or recently living is biomass. So we're talking about things like wood and and grass and different organic things that would ordinarily be thrown away can be converted into biochar and that's what biomass is. So what happens in the process is basically you're burning that organic material in the absence of oxygen or in an act in an oxygen deprived atmosphere. So it doesn't have to be completely devoid of oxygen. That's very helpful if it is, right. <laughs> because you're going to get a much more pure product. But it's, you know, starving that biomass, starving that organic material during the burning process. And you're going to be left with a basically a carbonized skeleton, if you will. It's just going to be this, this block of pure carbon is going to be what remains. Now, if that were to have burned with, in the presence of oxygen, it would continually burn. And what you would be left with would be wood ash. But we're burning it in, in a deprived, oxygen deprived atmosphere. And it basically what happens is it just drives off all of those volatiles, all of the volatile gases, all of the volatile, excuse me, volatile organic compounds are being driven off once it's heated up to its ignition temperature. And then once those are all gone. It doesn't burn if it's got no oxygen at that point. It's just heating it up. All those gases are being driven out and you're left with this pure carbon shell. And that becomes a vehicle for microbiology to inhabit. It becomes a vehicle to draw in nutrients, draw in all kinds of different um, like bacterial and fungal life, uses that skeleton as a a habitat. So I use it for microbial habitat and water retention. It's very water retentive. It holds a tremendous amount of water. And one of the experiments I did early on, which really solidified that for me because I had heard, oh, it's very water retentive. But I had also heard that it, in order to have good char, it shouldn't have any smell and it shouldn't have any taste. So I thought, oh, hey, may, maybe I'll go try this stuff and see what it's like. And I actually did it on my very first biochar video that I had done when I built my retort. I, I snapped a screenshot of that for the thumbnail. I was like, <laughs> this is perfect. And I, I was able to go frame by frame to get you actually just chomping on it. I was like, okay, this is it right here. Yeah, you didn't see the aftermath, dude. It wasn't pretty. I, I, I cut I, that part I can out only of the video. imagine it. It just must have been a mess. Oh, oh well. <laughs> Let me just tell you, if you want to take every bit of moisture out of your mouth instantaneously, 
try that, but I do <laughs> recommend it because that's exactly what happens. You bite into it and it just explodes in your mouth. And it's just like every bit of moisture is drawn out and it's horrid. So, it's the new TikTok, uh, the new TikTok uh, saltine challenge. It's going to be the biochar challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that is, so you were mentioning the volatiles coming off and the, the, the um, doing the process in the complete lack of oxygen, you need to draw a vacuum on something. That was our, that was our linchpin in our whole system was drawing a vacuum with the eventual material, uh, eventual gas that's going to be coming through that vacuum is disgustingly dirty. And as it condenses, it's going to give you that oil. It's going to give you all that stuff that's coming out of that, that carbon and it gums up your vacuum very quickly. Um, mm, so that yeah. is that that was our issue. Um, but the nice part is when you create gas in a con- in a container, it's going to push itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll eventually talk about that reactor. But how did you how did you get started? Like what kind of process is was did you just choose a stupid, simple process and kind of go for it? Or did you kind of build something to begin with? Or was it just uh, what you had laying around? Uh, yeah, I didn't actually build anything um, for the first bit while I was trying to figure it out. I wound up just basically doing a couple of different ex- experiments, if you will, and trying to, to create char. And one was just burning the pile on top of the ground, absent a cone. And once you get your pile very hot, then you start adding your material on top of it as you would with a cone to try to starve the material at the bottom of oxygen. So I was doing that and then, you know, pulling the, pulling the coals out and, and trying to quench at that time. Um, and then I kind of decided, Hey, I'll try a, a cone. And so I did a cone, you know, had some success with it. I mean, obviously you can make really, really good char there. It's just a process of, um, you know, it's very, it's something that requires a lot of attention, so to speak. You know, it's, it requires a lot more attention than, than the retort that I built. But, and then I graduated to something a little bit bigger and, and made a trench out of that cone and played around with that for a little bit and made some char. And then I had the opportunity because I had the available resource of getting those barrels for free. And it was just a perfect opportunity where I didn't, I didn't pay any money to make the biochar retort that I currently use. Right. And for, for anybody that's listening um, or watching, so the biochar retort that you're using now is basically a drum inside a drum with a, with a basically a smokestack, gas stack that comes out the middle um, and you heat around the core and that brings the inside barrel to combustion, not combustion, ignition temperature. Mm -hmm. Combustion Mm -hmm. would have oxygen in there, but you keep it pretty much devoid of oxygen because the oxygen is being consumed by the outside burning material. Right, right. Yeah, it it winds up be be, it winds up well beyond ignition temperature eventually. But like that's that's the first point at which gases are going to start to escape from that biomass. Is once do it you reaches burn your that, flare on that? Do I what? Do you burn the flare on that, or do you, is no. that just released oxygen or released it's just, the atmosphere? 
it's just released. I mean, I, I wish that I, and I haven't given a whole lot of thought, um, you know, to further the experiment because it just takes more time and mental energy to try to figure out another way to capture that expended, you know, energy. Yeah, I mean, and wood gas, wood gas in general, unless you're capturing or you use utilizing it as it's being produced from what I've, what I've gathered over 10 years of looking into stuff is it's very ineffective to, to capture. Um, it's something that you have to burn as you're, you're getting it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure some crazy brainstorm while I'm sitting out in the woods will, uh, will come up, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so you started with the trend, trench method. So basically it's all the same concept. You're getting that core of your feedstock material, the stuff that you actually want to end up as biochar and you're putting a coating of uh, feeds or uh, uh, combustibles around it to, to bring that temperature up. So that's kind of the basic concept in any setup. Um, yeah. I mean, essentially, uh, you know, you take your, your trench or your, your pit and you put material in it. You want basically a, a good hot bed of coals. So you're going to burn it. It's going to basically kind of consume down. There's going to be ash produced at that point. But once you have a good hot, basis to start with and you can start adding the material that you want to turn into char and then when that stuff starts to turn to white you know you start to see white ash appearing then you're going to go ahead and add another layer and just successively add to that uh, material and essentially what will happen is the material underneath will wind up being starved of oxygen to the point where it will you know be in the state of pyrolysis and you'll be able to once the pit is filled up and you can start quenching, you know, whenever you want to start extracting that material. But okay. um, yeah, that's so basic, that's, basically it ends up like a, a campfire that you put out early. Yeah, it, essentially, it, you know, but you need to be able to monitor it so that it, it, you know, once it starts to turn to ash, once you start to see that white ash develop, you're going to be, you know, adding more material to try to smother the stuff that's on the below and it's going to create that starved you know atmosphere to the stuff that's on the bottom um yeah i i think that one of the things that's kind of important in that is you want to try to have your material somewhat the same size it's really helpful if you can kind of keep your material in the same range as far as because it it um it just seems to go better that way at least in my experience it's all Um, you're working with the same starting point for the same it's going to combust the same if it's the same if it's the same wood type and size it should come it should consume about the same speed exactly and um also too you know the material that you're putting in you know works best if it's if it's dry you know the wetter it is the the it's not going to work as good if it's dry you're going to get a good clean hot burn and um you know better char in the end so I see, uh, I see people talking about the, the tilted barrel method. Is this something you've looked into, tried, know much about? I, I haven't dug into it much at all. Uh, if I was going to source a barrel, I'd, I'd find a welder and, and make the retort, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have not worked um, with that. I am not even familiar with it, to be quite honest. There's a lot of different people out there that are trying a lot of different methods and, you know, have some really great ideas. Um, 
I'm always interested in finding new and better ways to do those sorts of things. So if somebody has something that seemingly works well, I would be more than interested to to adopt that or maybe give that a go. But I haven't been really familiar with that. But I have seen people with the barrels that are, you know, horizontal and flat. And essentially, they're just kind of creating a a trench, but it's right. not in the ground. It's it's basically just in a barrel. Right. So you're, yeah. not dig- you're not digging the trench. You're basically mimicking the same thing in a container. Yeah. Yep. Nice. Um, so once you burn it and once you have, if you quenched it, if you're doing trench method, if you you're re- you have your retort, you're, you're, you're taking the char out. Is it done then? Is that just, are you good to go at that point? No. It, it, so what, what happens when the, the material is burned? Once it basically is, you know, cools, you're going to be left with those volatiles remaining. You're going to have some residual tars and you're going to have some residual stuff that's going to basically solidify during the cooling process on the char itself, not only on the surface on the outside, but all throughout that pore space. Because essentially, for those that don't know, one of the real benefits and the unique things about biochar, if it's done correctly, is the porosity of it. It has a a tremendous amount of pore space, which has a lot of water and nutrient holding capabilities. So all of those pores will have that, those volatiles will solidify and cool and condense and adhere to that, making that material hydrophobic, meaning it's not going to absorb water. It's not going to absorb those nutrients. It's going to repel them. So we want to actually, we need to change that. And so there's a few different ways that you can do that. One is through the application of water directly before it has the opportunity to cool in its entirety. That's going to be helpful to it. But also through the through through time, I think, is the best way that I've found to do that, because, um, yeah, it's it's just something that's going to take some time for that to be able to be hydrophilic, meaning it's going to actually draw in rather than repel. And so if you do that, adding that water during the quenching process before it has an opportunity to cool, as I said, it's going to lessen the hydrophobic effect of that. But I think, again, it's best if you are not trying to rush that process and you give it ample opportunity to, to, um, to, to go through that process. Dissipate that. Um, the It's almost like it's putting a shellac on the outside with the, the condensation yeah. of the oils. Um, is there a way, like you said, quenching it earlier in the process before those volatiles condense, is this an issue in the retort also? Do they, does it not burn completely um, so that you're having to process it further in the retort and, and kind of get rid of the, the volatiles that, that condense on the outside of the char? No, I think I think that it's a much more um, efficient and clean procedure doing it in the retort. Um, there's, you know, when I open up the barrel, there's there's zero ash. It's a very clean and complete carbonization of that biomass. So there's, but what the problem that I see is that there's going to be more of that volatile uh, compound solidifying on it because I don't quench initially. It has the opportunity to cool until the next day. Right. So so what I wind up doing is I will 
you know, during the crushing process, it'll, it'll get water. It'll, it'll have water so that it's not dust flying everywhere. And I wind up using the water at that point, but then it's going to go from that stage and it's going to go into my compost yard and it's going to get to live in compost for the rest of its life, essentially, until it goes out and gets used. And the compost that I, that I keep in that yard, generally it won't come out anything less than two months. And typically it's six months or longer before it comes out. So it's going to have all that opportunity for that, those volatiles to, to be broken down and it start to become inoculated with the nutrient that's in that compost. So I think right. I've heard, I've heard other people say that uh, there's a guy that's pretty learned on this. He, he knows his shit. His name's Michael Whitman. And I think Jack's had him on a couple of times and he, you know, that dude really is pretty squared away when it comes to biochar. And that's one of the things he was saying as well um, is just inoculating it in the, in the uh, compost yard. And that's, the way that I've been doing it for well over a year now. I saw you were adding the um, the crush to like your chicken bedding. Mm-hmm. Um, are you still doing that? That seems yeah. like a brilliant um, order odor absorber and yeah. um, nutrient absorbent as they kind of mess with that stuff. Yeah, that's just another way to get that stuff in in a stage where it's going to be. Um, you know, that's like function stacking, right? You're going to be getting the the odor reduction but it's also taking the opportunity to break down those volatiles and it's you know something that the chickens are going to be able to consume or whatever livestock that you're putting it before they're going to want to go ahead and consume it um just this morning i wound up crushing a little bit more and putting it in with my pigs so my pigs like use a bathroom in a specific area i've trained them to do that and i basically put the charcoal right in that area and they go over there and they'll snack on it, but they'll also pee on it and, you know, defecate on it right there. So it's, it's function stacking. It's allowing the pigs to, to do it before it even goes, before I even take that out and put it in with my compost. So yeah, there are things that you need to do to it prior to just putting it into your, your soil, because what's going to happen if you take that material and you stick it directly into your, you know, your tomatoes where you're growing your tomatoes or something, it's going to, it's going to compete with that plant because of how absorbent it is. It's going to start to try to, once it breaks down um, those volatiles and it starts to receive, it's going to start to pull away from your plants. So you really do want to charge it before it goes in with stuff you're going to actually try to grow. You don't want it to directly compete with you know, the, right. the, the well, you, you want it, you want it to be a, you want it to be a net positive going in than a, than a draw yeah. out of the soil. Um, yeah. Uh, so one of the, one of the community members uh, is a butcher and he's been, he's been kicking around the idea of doing biochar with uh, bones from yeah. what he's processing, processing cattle and stuff like that. He also is in wondering right now, when you were talking about adding, adding um, nutrient at the end, if someone had an excess amount of blood, um, which is an odd statement, but as a butcher, you're bleeding stuff out. If he could capture that, that would probably be a pretty decent thing to inoculate that biochar with. Yeah, I imagine so. I imagine so. Um, I would probably be more inclined to utilize it in my composting operation, but I wouldn't. I, I think that it it probably would have a positive effect on, so you, on the. I mean, you could, 
Yeah, you could chocolate. probably just mix that right in, both of them in with a composting system um, yeah. and have the, the huge benefit of all of it together. Yep. That's, that's what I would do. And with respect to the bones, that's one of the things that I wind up doing with all the excess bones that I, that I pull out of the chicken yard because the chickens wind up getting a lot of food scraps. They'll occasionally get some roadkill. They'll occasionally get something that's been butchered here that we wind up saving for the winter time. And we'll throw that in the chicken yard and allow them to get after and get what, what it is that they want out of it. And then whatever's left those bones, I wind up collecting them out of the, the compost. And then I stack them in my milk crates that I have there. And then I'll wind up taking that material and directly putting it into my retort and making char out of it. And it makes fantastic char. It's, I was going to say, it's, does it's, it, does, does it similar to, is it similar to a wood burn? Um, what do you mean as far as the burn? Um, Cause I, I don't get about the, the same time. Is it the same? Um, oh, I see. Does it turn out the same as, as yes. Uh, wood? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think it's, um, and I, and I don't know this. I'm not, I'm just looking at it. I'm just visualizing it. I'm not, you know, I haven't done any scientific, you know, <laughs> Hey, it's better. It's more porous or whatever, but you know, there's all that, all that bones are very porous anyhow, you know? Right. And so when you do it and then you crush it, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's actually kind of better than wood in some respects, but again, that's just, me looking at it i'm not really scientifically I mean, it's, it's speculation it. you, you run it through your head i mean you're obviously an intelligent dude and you just think about it um jack kind of points to that a lot is you know you can figure a lot of shit out just by stepping back and going wait what what is the connection here um when you were mentioning the porous bone i i remember just you know bone meal and crushed bone and stuff from processing rabbits and things always went in the compost and then into the garden and you'd be digging yeah, in yeah. there and you'd find it's breaking down, but you'd see the holes in it. Or you found like a, a bleached, um, like a bleached deer skull from a, from somebody, you know, animals finding it. Um, and it's very brittle and porous. Uh, I can see where that would, if you sped that process up through pyrolysis, it would turn very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually done a couple of videos on that. I'm just kind of showing people that, you know, Hey, this is what it looks like when you're doing bones and, you know, you, you, you ham hock bone or leg bone or something from a deer and, and whatever. And um, I'm telling you, it makes great char and, and it's, it's not a resource worth wasting if you can take that material and you can sequester it into a pure form of carbon and right. then potentially benefit your property for, centuries i think that's a very cool thing to be able to do right well and, it, and it's a heck of a lot more beneficial a lot quicker than throwing bones in the soil oh, yeah. which would eventually be fine uh but a lot further down the road you're kind of speeding that up and uh, yeah. kyle added to that he's been contemplating laying down sawdust when he bleeds out and um and then mixing that mixing oh, that yeah. into his compost 100%. would be phenomenal hundred percent. Yeah. That would be some good stuff, man. Especially, especially seeing he's doing like three cows a week. <laughs> yeah. That would be some gold right there, man. Like just great, great fertility. You'd get out of that, then, all that nitrogen and. Yeah. And then just taking all that bone matter and, and turning it to char. He'd, he'd have a nice yeah. little system going on there. Um, yeah. It would be pretty cool to do. I mean, I, I think it's pretty cool um, for one, for what it does for, developing your soil life, you know, providing that habitat for your soil. Um, 
both microbial and fungal and um, the water retentive properties to it. But also the other thing is just what it does for your land. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, has changed my mind in, in the permaculture realm because I never used to think this way. But, you know, what are we doing for our land to give back to our land? We, we as stewards of our land typically just take from it all the time. But when you start looking at it, like, how can I actually give back to this land? How can I return that surplus? You know, and to do it in a way that is potentially going to outlast generations that to me is very powerful when you think about it you know you're you're not just planting a tree which is super cool you're not just driving a prius and virtue signaling you're fucking taking carbon and it's going to be there in the soil long after all of us are gone i just think that's incredibly cool you know right. absolutely absolutely it's um i what flipped my switch to the whole concept you just were mentioning was um, our backfield that we ended up pasturing chickens and turkeys on when we purchased the property, it had been a decade of just haying it, not, not putting anything on it, not doing anything. It was just hayed every year, cut down and fed to some animal. Um, when we came in, we had it hayed the first year. You could walk through that field. Um, and we didn't cut it the second year and it was waist high. You could walk through it. No problem. It was really wispy. Uh, we ran chickens on that, and within one year, you were tripping through the paths that we ran the chicken tractors through. And mm -hmm. when we took a above photo, you could see the difference in the green lushness of that chicken shit and what it did for that pasture in one run. Um, and then we ended up doing it three or four years in a row, and that pasture, the change in it, I was just like, okay. This was just because I took the time to go out and move that thing twice a day. And these birds changed this pasture for something that I could walk waist deep in to now when it's, you know, 14 inches deep, I'm tripping on the thick grass. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's pretty cool, man, to see the changes, but yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things with regard to building soil is that it seems like everybody wants those results right now. And the fact is, is that soil built in nature, if you're trying to replicate that, it's just, it takes forever. And, and yeah. if we're trying to not rush the process, we have to be patient. And biochar really is kind of adding to the long game. It's the long-term building of that soil, just as creating fertility is. It takes time. And so um, I, I just think everybody kind of wants things right now. We want that, you know, 15 day compost. Right. But right. what have we made? Right. We, don't, we, we just don't know because we're not necessarily soil scientists. So I just think that it's it's one of those things you kind of have to step back and, and just realize, you know, what you're doing is something more and bigger than you. And it's um, it's definitely a benefit. So I brought you on for that. And that that's been a great that this has just been a great um, kind of yeah, the the good soil is as old as dirt. I, yeah. a good one. I he's always good for at least one in one of my shows. So um, <laughs> but uh that that's kind of a great basic explanation, what it is, kind of a few ways that it's made. I have this project that I'm kind of contemplating in my head. Um Tim, Toolman Tim, he, he's got 10 acres down here in Tennessee that's undeveloped. 
there's a ton of deadfall. There's a ton of slash. There's a ton of stuff that needs to be um, to be consumed, moved, or disposed of in some nature. Um, and so I started thinking biochar. Now, hearing what you are talking, um, I want to be able to, since we're not on site all the time, it's, we're not on, um, it's not on our farm or on our homestead. This is going to be something that we're going to want to do while we're there working. And the trench method seems like a lot of you're there the whole time. You're watching, you're monitoring, you're pulling things out, you're quenching things. Um, and it sounds more like a retort is the exact opposite of once it's set up, it does its thing. Am I kind of gathering that perspective? Yeah, I would I would agree with that, at least in my um, experience and what I've done. Um, you know, others may dispute that, but that's just been my experience. It's a lot more hands on when you're dealing with doing like a cone or a trench or some other method that you have to actually physically make sure it doesn't, it doesn't continually burn. Um, but in a closed system, it's a little bit more self-regulating. So essentially I can light my retort and then spend about 15 minutes getting it up to temperature and getting everything to the point where I can shut the lid. And once that's done, I can walk away and come back in the morning and start it up all over again. You know, the downside to the system that I have, I will say this, is that, you know, you're not going to be running a lot of material in a 30 gallon drum because you're going to lose 45 percent at least in volume. You're going to start with this and you're going to like wind up with like that. Right. You're okay, almost yeah, that, half, you're going to lose volume. That's, that's what lose. I was that's that's one of the things I wanted to ask you. So the the size reduction in a decent retort burn is going to be 45 percent yield of what you're, I, what you're putting in. Yeah, I recently kind of did a like an experiment because I actually had wondered that, but I hadn't wondered it to the point of actually doing anything about it until I had one of the people who was watching one of my videos asked the question in the comments. And I thought, you know, that's a good idea, man. I'm kind of actually going to do that. And so I wound up running in just an experiment in my retort. And this is my own personal experience on what I received. But I would say that it was somewhere around 45%, maybe a little less. Um, or th There was a little bit more than half of the material that I started with. So I'd say a 45% reduction, maybe. Okay. Um, and then the weight reduction was pretty significant. I had assumed yeah. it would be about 80%. And it, it, it factored in right around 77, 78%. Oh, nice. of weight weight reduction um, of that material. And so you're not really going to do a tremendous amount. So if you have a lot of material to do, which it sounds like you guys do, you know, the retort may not be doing enough for you. It may, it, you know, either make something way bigger right. where you can put more material in it or make multiples of those. But then that to me is still labor intensive and you know, there's probably right. going to be a cost to some extent. So I really think in, in that sense, what you were talking about, to me, it sounds like the trench method would be like your best option, quite honestly. I, I don't know. What what are some of your ideas that you, you had as far as trying to maybe build a well, system? Yeah. So I, when I started digging in, I looked at the trend, like I looked at what I could do today with no materials, no nothing. And it seemed that that with a shovel, 
I could accomplish that um, mm -hmm. with a shovel and some water. Uh, water, a, a lot of water is also a restriction. There's a spring on the on the property, but right now we're not capturing a whole lot. Um, I don't think it'd be a whole lot to, to have enough water to to do something. But it seemed like the easiest way and uh, most cost effective without sourcing free materials and things would be a trench type burn. Um, but like I said, I want to be there clearing while my, my, my biochar system works for me. So I started looking into cones, um, things like that. It still seemed like there was a point where you're going to need to be there to quench. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, I came upon retorts. Now, mm -hmm. I've started to brainstorm different. Um, so the retort model with the 55 gallon and K-Bonk was asking the inner coat, the inner um, chamber in that you used a 30 gallon inside a 55 gallon. Is that the setup you had? Yeah. yeah. So what I was contemplating was setting something up like that. Um, I don't know if you've been through Tennessee, but there is a junkyard in everybody's yard. And I don't think sourcing materials is going to be a whole lot of problem. Um, mm -hmm. But Building a, a retort of that size, the 55 gallon, 30 in a 55, um, and and getting it working, getting some consistent data, getting some consistent timing, and then possibly duplicating it or possibly experimenting with different um, vessels, mm -hmm. uh, maybe going to a larger. I had one idea of um, a larger uh, combustion ring around two 55 gallon drums in it so if i could find a large metal container to contain two smaller um middle vessels have the smaller mm -hmm. vessels inside um to where you could just put together those um ideas uh they're just all around but right. i think i think it's a multiple process i think it's a um like renegade said maybe a half dozen or a dozen of these retorts if over time they get built and add it into the system that eventually you're going to be consuming enough to make it worth it. Yeah. I think that that would be um, a pretty good way to go, man. Just start out, figure it out for yourself, figure out how it's going to best work for you because each one of those builds is going to be slightly different. You know, you're going to have to figure out how, how and where and how many of those holes to put in. Right. You know, I, I, I don't have any formula for mine. It's not like I've got this like, Hey, you know, do it this way. I just did it and then I wound up putting more holes in it to make it more efficient throughout the process. So it's one of those things you're just going to have to figure out on your own um, and figure out like what's going to work. And I think that's a good way to start. And, and that's all, like I mean, it's always good to uh, do the free materials. And as I'm driving around here and going different places, I'm just like scoping yards and I see like old grain bins, um, just the sides. Uh, mm -hmm. that have the big round container where you're going to be able to, I mean, obviously you're gonna have to work with something to get in and out of it or remove it. Um, moving me things mechanically is pretty, you can figure that out. Uh, I don't have a problem with rigging and stuff like that, but right. um, seeing those and picturing them in the retort model, maybe not exactly like something that you built, but the same principles, um, one of the questions I had is, does burning the combustibles hotter burn or finish the biochar quicker? Um, so, 
Yeah. So if you're if you were taking so if you had your if you had your combustibles around the outside and you were recycling your wood gas as a burner, also adding uh, calories to that burn, are you are you going to end it quicker? In your opinion, do you know? I I don't have any like um, data on that. I just wind up wind up putting the stuff in there and then you know, feeding it to the point where it's full. And then if I feel as though the burn didn't get hot enough, I may on passing come by and toss a few more chunks in the top of the thing. And then that'll just continually, um, you know, cycle through and, and burn more off. But essentially that that gas is being driven out of that 30 gallon drum and it's reburning in the space in between the 30 and the 55 gallon drum. So it's, right. it's reburning in that, in that, um, in that zone so you're not you're, you're you're exhausting it into the burn so basically instead of piping it back in you're letting it expel out through the holes in the inner chamber right right ideally that gas is going to be pushed out of the bottom of the drum and it's going to start to rise and as it rises it's going to catch the fire that's coming down right. and it's going to reburn again so that's how it's supposed to work in in theory, and it does to a certain extent. However, when everything gets going and it's just really ripping and that barrel's super hot, it's just burning, man. Everything in there is just like glowing, you know? And the only thing that's not burning is the material on the inside of that 30 gallon drum. Cause there's, like I say, when I open it up, it's like black glass. It sounds like glass when you touch it and there's zero wood ash produced right. from that. So I try to get my fire just as, as hot as I can and keep it there for um, at least you know, like an hour and a half. And then okay. throughout the, the remainder of that process, it just winds up burning and it just kind of like cools off over time. And like I say, I come back the next day and it's, it's really good char. It's really high quality stuff. that's fully carbonized. I saw one of your comments there where a guy was saying, put 20 uh, 55 gallon drums in a 20 foot diameter you know, vessel. I think that's a great idea. I would love to see something like that. Somebody try something like that. And oh, I will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd, that'd be rad, man. I'd like to see that. Um, I guess my only concern with that would be, what is going to be the vessel that 20, 20 foot vessel? Because that's going to get pretty hot, and you're going to have a lot of deformation if it's if it's metal. So you're going to need to have something very thick, and um, you know, or it's just going to not last very long, in my opinion. But um, you know, and then you wind up with how, how are you going to seal the top? You know, something that, that large, is it going to be a sealed so, top and you'll have a door, like a door that you open up at the bottom. That would be pretty cool. If you, do you need, so if you were building kind of a, a hybrid of kind of a pit cone method, but you had little, so you, you have your inner chamber or your retort. Does the outer, so if, does your 55 gallon drum need to be sealed on top too for it to work mm -mm. in your system? No, it's just basically kind of creating like a thermal siphon, just that stack. It would actually, mine would actually work better if I had a little bit longer of a stack. I've got this eight inch stack that I've cut into the top and it's just one short section. It's like, you know, three feet tall. If I had double that, it would create more of a draw and even a better burn in my opinion, but I was only able to source one of those. It was right. all that material was free. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing with that? And like, <laughs> you, you can have it. And I'm like, cool. 
So that's going to be my yeah. mo. Is is uh, hey, what are you doing with that out there? <laughs> oh, it's been, it looks pretty rusty. You mind if I take it? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was thinking. So so if you had, so if you had your so your thirty inside your fifty five has a stack that comes out and runs through up through the fifty five. No, no, there's no there's no stack on the on the thirty. It's it, all it's just it's completely just a barrel, thirty gallon barrel with a with a top. And originally those came with those you know bands that you could put yep. on them to steal them. I don't I don't use that. I just use like a heavy weight to just make sure that there's contact between the the lip of the 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 drum itself and the lid. And all of that stuff's super deformed because it gets so hot. And I've done close to, uh, I think, about 85 burns in this barrel by now. And, um, you know, I'm trying to – hopefully I'll get, be able to get it to 100 next year. But I think my burning season's pretty well over for this year because of, you know, fire season and all. Um, but, I, no, there's, there's no stack coming out of it. It's just the only holes that are in it are the holes that I put in the bottom of it in just as a relief for the gas to be – escaping out so i drilled five holes in the bottom that material heats up it pushes the gas out the bottom of it and then it comes up along the sides and reburns in that in that space in the 55 gallon drum but the only the only stack is is the the lid on the 55 gallon drum but i i would be i would love to get another stack but i'm not paying any money for that none none of what i've god is is anything that i pay money for i get all of my material on my bio mass i get as much as i want for free and i'm not going to be out you know buying stuff to burn there's no there's no there's no at this point for your system and and your your goals you're accomplishing that with what you have i don't think there's any reason to dump resources in it to tinker unless you find it for free like you said Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of good ideas out there people have. And I've seen some of the things that people are trying to do and, and all. And I think those are great. I I just haven't gone down that road um, because I really like the system that I have. It works well for me. And when this system goes, I'll probably replicate something very similar to it. But I'll probably see if I can't find another piece of stack somewhere so that I can try it with that taller um you know, chimney stack coming out. But other than that, I'm very happy with how this works and it, and it works well in a small scale environment. I just think that if you're doing a lot of material, you're going to need to um, do something a little bit more large scale, either what? in a system <laughs> or doing the trench. Right. Uh, somebody asked, uh, what about a shipping container as your outside vessel? <laughs> man, you know, that that's, uh, man, that's a lot of, that's an interesting thing, man. I don't know. I, I'm not saying that it wouldn't work. It probably would work, but man, that's like. I wonder if you could even go with like a small, like pod size, like the smaller, like eight by ten metal container, and mm-hmm. uh, then you got your doors, like you were mentioning, and you could definitely modify it to put a stack in the top. I mean, right. I wonder how many 55 gallon drums you could get in there. Yeah, I, I imagine. Um, that would work. I mean, I would just be concerned about the cost of that because they're not giving any of those things away. I mean, unless oh, somebody's right, like, yeah. you know, like, hey, you know, you well, want to. Well, that's, but- that's the other thing. That's the other thing I was wondering. Um, what are the. So you're doing it on a personal level. You're using it to improve your property. But I see what they charge for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Are there outlets? If you were able to come up with something, say we were making, um, you know, seven or eight 55 gallon drums on a Saturday 
is there outlet for this in different stages? Because as we were talking about, you know, like adding it to the chicken coop, um, you know, that's less work for me. If somebody's going to take the crushed stuff and put it in their chicken coop, inoculate it and everything, you can get rid of it at a smaller price. Is there enough benefit to adding it to say a chicken bedding that you would be able to get some value out of a bag of it um, and make it worth doing the work to make a lot of it? Yeah, I'm certain that there probably is. It's just finding that market for it. You know, I'm, I, you know, I, I think that there's people that would buy that. It's just how do you market it to people? And, and you know, I guess that's a road that somebody's going to cross, whether it be you or someone else. But I, I definitely think that there's people. Yeah, I definitely think that there's people that would buy that for sure. You know, um, right. I was, I was also wondering if you're quenching it um, with charged liquid. Um, I think you locked up on me there. Sorry, sorry, internet sorry. jumped out. <laughs> uh, if you were if you were to um, quench it or after the fact with like a comfrey tea, is that mm -hmm. that's like a that would be a double kind of a more benefit than just um, making it um, water retentive? Yeah, for I sure. Like yeah, for sure. I I mean that would be a great a great thing to do is to take that char and put it right into some compost tea that you make. Um, yeah, that, that would be a great thing. I, I make a lot of compost tea quite a bit around here. I, I use a 60 gallon olive barrel and I just finished a batch like uh, sometime this last week. And I don't really do that with my compost tea. I use it for other things, but that certainly would be a great application for that in charging that, that, um, you know, also, working down the hydrophobic uh, properties of it, but at the same time, it's going to start to inoculate that with that tea. Um, right. But I don't, I don't do that. I just put it right in my, my chicken yard, but that's just the way that I do it. Yeah. I've, I've kind of pictured a, we, we have a lot of wild comfrey out there to deal with. And also um, I'm going to have a bunch of um, bucking four out there to where I think a low maintenance um, source some IBC totes and just do do 250 gallon batches and let it sit um, and have that available for quenching uh, mm. be the black death. And it would smell disgusting when you got around to using it. But I think the stuff would be solid, um, solid uh, inoculation liquid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the, the whole point is just to, to fill it up with something. It really doesn't matter as much what you're filling it up with providing it's something that's going to be beneficial, you know, so it could be a lot of different things, compost tea or urine or, you know, blood for that matter or anything. But um, yeah, that's not a bad idea. That would, that would certainly work pretty well, man. Eight. Um, they were wondering about a 20 foot pit in the ground and then putting D rings on the 55 gallon drums to haul them out of the pit um, with a mini X or maybe a hoist or something. That's, that's another interesting thing. If you, if you were able to get it um, in the ground and covered, would you need to cover it with more than material? Um, or would you be able to burn those underneath a, a big enough stack of slash just piled up like a huge old burn pile? Yeah, I'm not really picturing how that's going to work. What, what, what he, he's, is he referring to there? 
I think I think uh, taking the 55 gallon drums, uh, multiple 55 gallons, digging a big hole, putting them in the bottom, and then piling just huge piles of slash over top and burning it down into the pit. Would that choke out the oxygen in the bottom with 55 gallon drums to use those as your burn vessels? Yeah, I don't know, man. I suppose that could work, but I mean, we're talking about something that's pretty large and there may be some things in there that are like, it just doesn't work well, or it's incomplete, or you're, you're, you know, you're wasting material that could be used to, to actually turn something into carbon and you've got too much. You could have to, it just would be a hard thing to kind of gauge and manage. I'm sure that it's a larger scale operation. Control, a balance between control and uh, babysitting, I think. Yeah, I th- I think that's the, the 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 real question that I would have. I'm not saying that those any of those things wouldn't work. They might work right. fantastically, but it's getting right. to the point where you're you're you gotta like walk, be, you know, crawl before right. you start to run. Right? You can't just go right in on a 20 foot pit oh, on your property. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and this is kind of this is the this is the end. Um, so these suggestions are like the end and then the experimentation along the way is going to either prove or disprove a couple of different theories I'm going to have. I think, it, I think is how it's going to work out. I think mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of start messing around with a couple of different versions like you did um, that maybe can be married together or some scaled and some not uh, and just do a bunch of burning and make yeah. a bunch of this stuff. Yeah, I, th- I think it's really, um, it's such a simple process, you know, really that anybody can do. It, it's not like it's rocket science. It's just burning material and starving it of oxygen, you know, and then right. you're left with that pure carbon. So it's, yeah, I, I just think that you got to kind of start smaller scale to, to learn the process and, and figure it out and then start ramping it up from there. And, you know, hell, who knows, maybe in a little bit, you'll be burning shit in a shipping container, like you said, but. Well, right. Like Josh said um, here, uh, use um, IBT, IBC tote frames, and then uh, you could fashion some metal around them. I don't know tin would work, but more like maybe some metal roofing to make an enclosed burn chamber for your 55 gallon drums. Then inside that, uh, you'd yeah. be able to, if you could source some cheap shit, somebody's got in a, in a throwaway stack and, and fashion yourself something. Um, but one uh, one question: What size uh, diameter stack you run in on your fifty five? Is that an eight inch? It's it's a, a eight inch, yes. Eight inch stack. All right. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, bury them, <laughs> bury the frames. Yeah, these guys are all gonna have ideas. I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a notebook list now that I got them thinking about it. So. This, uh, this may have been a little uh, self-serving, but uh, this it, the conversation has been great. I want to throw it out there. If anybody's got any more questions, uh, throw them in the chat real quick, and we'll probably get wrapped up here. I got you for an hour, and uh, we're up at an hour, a couple of minutes after. Um, I, think, I think that suggestion with the IBC tote frames isn't a bad one, but I think you would find that those would wind up being molten metal because right. I don't know how well those would hold up to the heat that's going to you know, I mean, we're talking, I would say I haven't put uh, a temperature on mine, but watch some of those videos that I've made making biochar. And that thing is like molten. It's dang near ready to like start melting. It's so hot. So it yeah, needs to with, be- with the plastic, it was, we were running at uh, anywhere from 1100 to 1300 Celsius. So. <laughs> oh, Celsius. 
Yeah, it was wow. it was uh, it was burning pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I was I was gonna say it was probably somewhere around twelve hundred Fahrenheit. Just guessing. It, it's at on least the wood, that. on the wood. I could see that. Yeah, it's at least that. But um, yeah, I, I don't I don't know, man. It's just one of those things. I I really think actually doing it with the trench method, although labor more labor intensive, you're going to be able to get a significant amount of material burned. And it's a very simple process that doesn't take a lot. All you're going to need is manpower. If you had a work party of three to six dudes, you're going to get a lot of shit burned because you can have somebody managing the pile, one or two people managing the pile, and the rest of the people are cutting to length and clearing as they go. And you're going to, you're going to clean shit up quick that way. It's, it's when you start trying to put it in these fancy vessels and building all this stuff. I'm not saying those aren't valid things to pursue, but, you know, it, start it might with, be it might be a, a combination of when you got the hands, you can do the bigger, you bigger burns in the trench. And if it's just me out there working on a weekend, I can fire off a couple of retorts and it, it kind of babysits itself. I think it's uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of different avenues to be pursued for sure. Yeah, fire fire up the barbecue, man, and 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 get some whiskey flowing. Dudes will show up. Well, there is that, and it's like uh, <laughs> before SRF, we're having a kind of a. It's I mean, it is remote. It's it's uh, kind of dry camping beyond um, dry camping, and and obviously SRF crew is is down for that type of adventure. Um, I think we're gonna get some work done in a few days before SRF. We got some people that want to come down and, and camp and do some working. So, right on. Definitely, definitely, lots of content to be made, but. Um, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on, man. If you want to plug anything, I saw you had a, uh, a Comfrey Tea video. Was that a Comfrey Tea video that came out today? Um, no, that was just uh, it was just a short that I did a on uh, a little bumblebee pollinating one of my hollyhocks in my garden. I thought I thought it was kind of a cool shot. So I got I got the notification. Weird. I started typing your name into YouTube and setting up the thing, and all of a sudden I'm getting notifications for your videos. I'm like, <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, man. I usually like to give people a couple minutes if they got stuff to plug or just a, a, a leaving message or anything. But uh, take the floor for a minute and uh, we'll wrap things up. Right on. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Um, we, uh, I'm going to be going down to Kentucky, Bowling Green, Kentucky. They're having actually Kentucky Sustainable Living is putting on a festival of their own. It's going to actually be right around the time of the fall SRF but it's going to be October 27th through 28th and 29th. So the festival itself is on the 28th and 29th. And the, there has a couple of paid classes, one of which I'm going to be teaching, which is a permaculture fruit tree guild class, which is going to be held on Friday. So I will get with you, Brian, and shoot you the link to that. So if anybody's interested in checking any of that stuff out, They'll be able to go on and, and just source it from there. But I'm going to be teaching a class and Chuck Peoples is going to be down there teaching a homestead medical class. And there's going to be a lot of different vendors that are going to be showing up to this particular event. So if anybody's going to be in the area and maybe they're wanting to go down and check out what's happening there in Kentucky, Bowling Green, um, I'll give you an, uh, I'll give you the link to that so people can go check it out. But other than that, man, I, I appreciate you having me on. It's been pretty cool. And uh Good opportunity yeah. to talk a little biochar and chat with the folks that are in your community. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check out the the Kentucky uh, 
festival for sure, since we're going to be here for SRF. And then uh, I think we have this place uh, for now, even through November, uh, if we don't if we don't lock it up for another year after that. So that's that's plenty of time to shoot up to Kentucky, too, and probably yeah. well within striking distance. So I'll uh, I'll look forward to getting that link and checking that out. And I'll share it with my audience, especially if I'm going to end up going and, and hanging out, too. So, yeah, Matt, I really sure. appreciate you coming on. If you uh, if you could hang out for a second, I'll close things up and I'll catch up with you for a second after. Right on. All right. Thanks for coming. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Eric for coming on. What a great uh, what a great chat on biochar, letting people kind of know a little bit about the basics. And then, uh, yeah, just uh, two people that have a little bit of knowledge about different things. Brainstorming. It's always great. Uh, audience participation was fantastic. I appreciate everyone uh, hanging out and being in the chat. If you want to find out more about Porterhouse and Teal, I got a bunch of links down in the in the video description and the audio description to their TikTok, their YouTube, their website, all of it. And I will get together with Eric and definitely promote that uh, festival that he's going to be at up in Kentucky. So I appreciate him come on. This is another episode of Lots to Talk About. Like I always say, if you enjoy uh, if you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others. You can find it at thelotsproject.com on Noster Telegram. YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Rumble, and Instagram. Be sure to listen on one of your favorite podcast 2.0 value for value podcast players like Podverse or Fountain.fm. Make it a great day, guys, and we'll catch up with you in the morning. I can see the light.